Hey, I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We're continuing our series today on the Sermon on the Mount, and but I would really like to share with you a... Um, a story. It's an account from Jim Cimbala. He's the pastor at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and his wife is Carol Cimbala. She is the director and the songwriter for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but if you've been around Christianity for any, any long period of time, you've heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Great music. Um, I have been, had the privilege of being able to learn a lot about prayer through by Pastor Jim and his good friend, Daniel Henderson, who I was able to meet and be part of a kind of a prayer cohort online for a period of about six months. He was one of my professors in my master's degree. And so he's written a lot about prayer. Daniel Henderson has as well. I'm able to learn from both of these gentlemen, but there's a, there's a story in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which by the way, if you want to learn about prayer, it's a great book to read. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. It's an older book. It's been republished a couple times. But this is a story from, from his book, um, and it's a, it's a little lengthy, but I, I think it's too important for us to, to, to hear this morning because it gets us started on the importance of prayer. And so uh, he talks about how um, when he and Carol went through a, darkest, a really dark two-and-a-half-year tunnel that they could have ever imagined. Their oldest daughter, Chrissy, had been a model child growing up, but at 16, she started to stray. Uh, I, I'm just going to read his words. I admit I was slow to notice this. I was too occupied with the church, starting branch congregations, overseeing projects, and all the rest that ministry entails. Meanwhile, Chrissy not only drew away from us, but also away from God. And in time, she even left our home. There were many nights that, that, I, that I didn't know where, to where she was. As the situation grew more serious, I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued. I tried to control her with money. Looking back, I recognized the foolishness of my actions because nothing worked. She just continued to harden, harden more and more. Her boyfriend was everything that, that we didn't want for, for Chrissy. How I kept functioning through that period, I don't know. Many a Sunday morning, I would put on my suit, get into the car to drive to the tabernacle early, ahead of Carol and cry for the next 25 minutes, all the way to the church door. God, how am I going to get through three meetings today? I don't want to make myself the center of attention. The people have problems of their own. They're coming for help and encouragement. But what about me? I'm hanging by a thread. Oh, God, please, my firstborn, my Chrissy. So somehow God would pull him together every single Sunday. There were moments that he says that, that while they were worshiping and singing, though, that his spirit would kind of run away from the meeting to intercede for his daughter. Um, he really had to focus to stay, to, to, to stay focused those mornings. Um, and then while all this was happening, Carol ended up having a hysterectomy in the, in the middle of all this. And she tried to adjust, but... The enemy, the devil, came, took the opportunity to come after her, and he taught, she heard, you might have this big choir, and you're making big albums and doing outreaches at Radio City Music Hall and all the rest. Fine, you and your husband can go ahead and reach the world for Christ, but I'm going to have your children. I've already got the first one. I'm coming for the next two. Can you imagine the pressure on a pastor leading a congregation feeling like he's losing his children to the enemy? So she was just struck with fear. She got so afraid at one point. He went to, Carol went to, went to Jim and was like, we need to leave the ministry. We need to stop this. She got that afraid. 
She wasn't being rebellious. She was just depressed after surgery. And she elected not to pack up and run after all. Praise the Lord. Back to Jim's words. or uh, uh, Yeah, Jim's words. I knew that if she continued on the present path, there would be nothing but destruction awaiting Chrissy. There came a divine showdown. God strongly impressed me to stop crying, screaming, or talking to anyone else about Chrissy. I was to converse with no one but God. In fact, I knew I should have no further contact with Chrissy until God acted. I was just to believe and obey what I had preached so often. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you. And at that moment, Jim says he dissolved in a flood of tears. He knew he had to let go of the situation. Back in New York, he began to pray with an intensity and growing faith as he never had before. Whatever bad news he received about his daughter, he kept interceding and praising God for what he anticipated God would do. He made no attempts to see her. They endured the Christmas season with utter sadness. He says he was pathetic, sitting around trying to open presents with her two other children without Chrissy. And then February came. On a cold Tuesday night during their prayer meeting that they have on Tuesdays, which is attended by thousands, he talked from Acts 4 about the church boldly calling on God in the face of persecution. Once they entered a time of prayer, everyone reaching out to the Lord at once together, an usher handed him a note. A young woman who, she, who, who was spiritually sensitive and really um, listened to the Spirit of God had written, Pastor Simbola, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. He hesitated. He says, was it right to change the flow of the service and focus on my personal need? Yet something in the notes seemed to ring true. In a few minutes, I picked up a microphone and told the congregation what had just happened. He says this, the truth of the matter I said, although I haven't talked much about it, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. She thinks up is down and down is up, dark is light, light is dark, but I know God can break through to her. And so I'm going to ask one of the pastoral staff to lead us in praying for Chrissy. Let's all join hands across the sanctuary. And as his associate began to lead the, lead the people, he stood behind him with my hand on his back. And he prayed as best he knew. He said, to describe what happened in the next few minutes, I can only embrace a, uh, employ a metaphor. The church turned into a labor room. The sounds of women give birth are not pleasant, but they're wonderful. They're, the, the results are wonderful. Paul knew this when he wrote, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4.19. There was a groaning, a sense of desperate determination as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. Take your hands off her. She's coming back. He was overwhelmed. So 32 hours later on Thursday morning, as he was, sh as he was shaving, his wife burst through the doors, eyes open wide, saying, go downstairs, she blurted. Chrissy's here. 32 hours later. Chrissy's here? Yes, go down. But Carol, I got... He should just go down, she urged. It's you she wants to see. So he wiped off the shaving cream, headed down the stairs. His heart was pounding. As he came around the corner, he saw his daughter on the kitchen floor, rocking on her hands and knees, sobbing. Cautiously, he spoke her name, Chrissy. She grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was as clouded by tears as hers. I pulled her up from the floor and held her close as we cried together. Suddenly she drew back. Daddy, she said with a start, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? On Tuesday night, Daddy, somebody was praying for me. I didn't say anything. 
So she continued, in the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me I was heading toward this abyss. There was no bottom to it. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, and how rebellious. But at the same time, it felt like God wrapped his arms around me and held me up tight. He kept me from sliding any farther as he said, I still love you. So daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? Jim says he looked into her bloodshot eyes and once again I recognized the daughter we had raised. Chrissy's return to the Lord became evident immediately. By that fall, God had opened a miraculous door for her to enroll at a Bible college where she not only undertook studies but soon began directing music groups in a large choir, large choir just like her mother. Today, she's a pastor's wife in the Midwest with three wonderful children. Through all this, he says, Carol and I learned as never before that persistent calling upon the Lord breaks through every stronghold of the devil for nothing is impossible with God. For Christians in these troubled times, there is simply no other way. My friends, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. We have to remember as we learned last week, and if you want to, last week we talked about the attitude of prayer. Today we're talking about the words of prayer that we use. But our prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. If we are not praying, if we're not spending time in prayer, if we're not going to God with what we so desperately need, we're declaring to God, I'm good, I don't need you. And so many times we go to everything else first before we come to God. If Jesus prayed, we definitely have to pray. We have to pray. And today Jesus talks about the words that we pray. So if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. But if you have your devices, it's great to go to Matthew chapter 6. I'd like you to see it as well. We'll be in verse 7 and 8. Um, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can always download the River Church app. It's our River R. It's turquoise. It's got the Bible in it as well, and you can read the Bible there um, to be able to follow along. But like I said, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. This is the Sermon of Jesus. Let's read it together. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So last week we talked about the attitude of prayer that he talked about the Pharisees, the hypocrites, and that they would go on the street corners and talk and, and pray loud so everybody could hear. Their prayers were offered because of their piety and because of their desire for popularity, not for their desire to fall on their faces before God. He's saying our attitude must be one of humility coming to God both in private and in public. Jesus isn't saying we should never pray in public, but he is saying that when we do, it needs to be out of humility, not out of a desire to look pious and become popular. But Jesus now is talking about the actual words that we use, the actual words we say, and whether we offer them in vain repetition. Why is this important? Well, Luke 6.45 says this, it'll be on the screen. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So the words that come out of our mouths indicate what we believe to be true. Like seriously, the thing, and it's not the things that you think about when, you know, you're around the pastor, and you ought to speak a certain way, right? 
Which, by the way, I'm not that guy, so please don't ever do that. I hate that. Just, I'm just a dude. I love Jesus, called to something different, all right? We're all called to what we're doing, all right? But the reality is, sometimes we choose our words because of the people we're around. Be careful that we're not going back into what we talked about last week because we're trying to look good rather than trying to pray. We're just talking to our God. But the words we use are important. It indicates what's actually in our hearts. It's one of the reasons why Jesus is letting us know how we need to pray. If we pray, it shows how, how or where our faith actually lies. If we don't pray, you know what? It also shows where your faith actually lies. It could be in your talent or your ability or your own finances or whatever it looks like. Where is your faith actually? Where we go first. But Jesus this time doesn't say anything about the hypocrites. Notice what he says. He says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. He's not talking about the Pharisees necessarily. It's a shift and it's a different word. Because what Jesus is referring to here is referring to the pagans' prayers of the day. They're, these are people that are not Jews. It's not the Pharisees or the scribes. It's how others pray in Jesus' day. These prayers were words that were spoken in vain and they were often repeated. Pagans believed that if they shouted loud enough that their God would hear them and possibly do what they want. The Greek pantheon of gods were part of this. Zeus, Artemis, Hercules, all, all, all that pantheon of gods were there. And they believed if they shouted loud enough, they might do what they wanted because their gods had very much human characteristics. There's even a couple examples of, the, of this in scripture. If we were to turn to Acts 19, the silversmiths of Ephesus raised a crowd against Paul and his companions, and they chanted for two hours to their God, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. Some of us in here don't want to sit in church for two hours. And they were crying out that one phrase for two hours. The other is Elijah and the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. This is another spot. When Jeannie and I got to go to Israel, we went to Mount Carmel. There's a statue of Elijah on the top of that mountain where fire fell from heaven. It was just so cool to be able to be on that spot where that happened. This account is in 1 Kings 18, and I don't need you to turn there, but I'm going to turn there because I want to talk a little bit about what this idea of vain repetition is because Elijah had been prophesying against Israel and its king, King Ahab. He's been saying, look, you're evil. You're following evil things. Come back to God. And this angered the king because it, it usurped his authority. So Elijah challenged Ahab to gather all of the prophets of Baal, which was 450, and all the prophets of Asherah, 400, which the people that followed Asherah, Asherah I'm just going to say it was very deviant and it was all about sex. We'll leave it at that. But that's, that, that's what that whole belief religion was that day. And this was happening with God's people. And so Elijah's saying, no, let's all go to Mount Carmel and let's see who's actually God. And so I'll pick, up the, pick it up in verse 20 where it says, Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire to it. 
I will prepare this other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God, I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And so, these prophets of Baal and these prophets of Asherah do what they committed to do. And now, they start chanting out to God and they're screaming and they're yelling for hours and hours and they're screaming and they're yelling and apparently it's not working because nothing's happening and so they start cutting themselves they start doing all this physical mutilation trying to get the attention of their God I love it Elijah stands back and goes is your God taking a nap bro I mean that's pretty much what he says I think he even says maybe he's using the restroom He, he sits back and that's totally what Elijah does I love that guy I love it. And so they, they, they go and they go and they go and they go. Nothing happens. And so now it's Elijah's turn. And he says, hey, everybody, I've got the bull and stuff. You know what? Let's dig a trench around this. Let's go get 12 jugs full of water and let's really get this thing wet. There's so much water on it that it fills the trench around it. And then he comes and does it a second time. And they do it a third time to where this thing is drenched. And then he prays in verse 36. Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God to Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of God fell. Not only did it consume the water, not only did it consume the bull, it melted the rock. And nobody questioned that the Lord was God. But the reality is that's pagan prayer. Over and over and over and over and over again, saying the same words. Jesus is saying here, don't go to vain repetition. That's not what this is about. We don't use these words in in repetition. When I think of vain words in repetition, my my mind goes to... People that follow Islam, people that might be Hindu, Buddhism, even Catholicism. I know for some of you, I just said that and you go, wait a minute, that we're lumping into them into the same boat. Only for how they're taught to pray, really. I'm not saying about what they believe, but how they pray. Mantras are prayed over and over and over. Muslims pray at specific times a day and recite prayers all the time. Catholics recite memorized prayers all the time. Same words all the time. The commentator Douglas O'Donnell recounted having his grown-up Catholic, and he says this. Having grown up Roman Catholic, I remember praying my rosary, which, by the way, came to Catholicism from Buddhism by way of Spanish Muslims during the Middle Ages. With devotion and sincerity, but with a quickness of repetition that eclipsed my brainwaves. One month out of the year, I would pray the rosary every day. And since the rosary consists of 53 Hail Marys, six Our Fathers, and six Glory Bees, here is how I would pray to get through it in a reasonable amount of time. Fingering each bead, I would pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Bless all women and blesses the fruit of my womb. Jesus, Holy Mother of God, pray for us sinners, how we at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, but glory be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and forevermore shall be a world without end. Amen. That's, that's how we pray. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. But see, when you pray something like that over and over and over again, 
We're getting something religious done rather than actually communicating a relationship with God. We're not communicating our heart. We're not communicating our desires or hurts or our thanksgiving to God. We're just saying words, repeating them in vain repetition. The words we use are so very important. That's not to say that you can't learn from things like a book of prayer or different things. It's not that we can't learn from that. But the reality is if all you're doing is reciting, thank you, Lord, God is great, God is neat, bless us food before we eat, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. But we're conveying a lot about what we really believe about God. If we're saying things like, hey, big guy, need your help right now. What am I conveying that I believe about God? He's my cosmic genie in the sky. Rub the lamp a little bit, I get what I want. Exits are here, 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 you're right, from Aladdin. So let's talk about a few of the words we use. I'm not, I can't go, over, go into all of them, but these are some of the words that, 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 that I hear a lot because words are important. And please, if you use these, I'm not coming at you this morning. I want this to be a time for us to learn a little bit, okay? Remember I talked about, where did you learn to pray? My goal in these, this little section is to help us learn a little bit about what we're doing when we pray, all right? So if, I, if you feel I'm getting at you, that's not my heart's intent this morning, Okay? We often say, and I do this sometimes too, because we get into these ruts and we get into these ideas that we just pray. We say, God, be with so-and-so. You know, your friend's ill, and so we say, be with them. Wait a minute, is God never not with anybody? Right? I mean, let's just think about that for really practically. We, we have these words that we say, but what are we actually, we're thinking that God isn't with them? So what actually needs to happen for this person? What does God's word say? Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is always with us, and we don't need to pray for him to be with us. What do we need to pray? What does that person need? That they would remember that God is ever present with them. That's what we got to pray Because that person needs to remember it because it's easy, we know it, it's easy to forget it in the middle of tough times. It matters what we pray. Because when we pray that, we convey that to God and the next time we see the person, we're gonna be reminded, don't forget that you're not alone. It changes us with the words we use. Prayer actually changes us. It gets us on God's agenda. We're not informing him of something. He goes, oh, forgot that one. I got, thanks Thanks for the reminder, Josh. That's not how prayer works. It's me getting on God's agenda. And so the words we use are important. This is one that I think is just a faux pas, but I hear it a lot. And I hear people say, say they're praying for me. I just want to send prayers to Pastor Josh. Wait wait a minute. Don't send prayers to me. I ain't got no power. I'm not sending my prayers to somebody as if I'm activating God. I'm praying for someone. I'm not sending prayers to them. We're praying to God. We're not praying, sending prayers to the person that we're praying for. This one I hear a lot. Prayers and good thoughts. We are called to pray to God. We are called to present our requests to God. Good thoughts don't do anything for us. God's spirit moves. 
Now, we can say if you're totally negative and your thoughts are terrible, okay, that's okay. I mean, we got to think about that. But what are we supposed to be? Renew our minds by the word of God. Not just positive thinking, but replacing those negative thoughts with the truth of God's word. See, positive thinking can get us to think, oh, I'm good. Things are good. No, I'm not good. God's good. It's not about positive thinking or good thoughts. It's about the word of God and the spirit of God. Sending good thoughts is actually more about positive thinking than anything that can actually change us or the situation we're in. Me thinking about someone's situation is not taking them to God. We ask for prayers because we know who's in control and we, and we desire God to move. And then one last one, praying for what you want and what you expect of God. My friends, it is dangerous to say, God, do this or. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because all of a sudden we're telling God what to do. Do we really believe that God has best intentions for us or not, even when it's hard? We, this one is difficult, especially if a loved one is ill. This is where I hear it often. God didn't heal my loved one, so I don't believe in him anymore. We change our eternity because God didn't do what I wanted, which he never actually promised to do. This is hard. For me, it's something I've had to deal with my entire life, but I have to trust my Heavenly Father. I don't know why my dad died when I was 17. I don't know why my mom died last year and I had no relationship with her for over a decade. I don't know why God allowed that. But there are moments that I do because it changed me as a father. It broke the cycle for my family. Had my father been alive, I may have continued the cycle in my family. God has reasons why things happen. Is it always easy? No, it is not. But I can tell you this, it is always good. So Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. James 5, 13 to 16 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, the, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. However, God's word gives some parameters in that. We don't just pray for what we want. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have requests that we have asked of him. We pray knowing that God's will is what we desire because it is best, though it is not always what we want. It's no different than a father whose kid comes and says, I really want a rattlesnake for Christmas, Daddy. Now, that's pretty obvious. But parents make decisions all the time to not give kids what they want because there's something better. If God is a good, good father, we really believe that. That is what he does for us. He has plans for every single one of us. I've been hearing more and more prayers like this. I saw this. It was shared on Instagram. And this is the gist of the prayer. 
God gave me a word for this week. God will open up doors this week. The Bible tells us that God opens doors that no man can shut. You feel like a lot of doors are shut, but God is replacing them with bigger doors. You were tempted to settle for the small thing when God has called you to much, when God is going to bless you exceedingly and abundantly. And then this person says that she's going to pray for people with this anointing oil that she sells on her website. And then this phone rings in the background of this video, and the woman then prophesies that the next time the phone rings, it's going to be for financial gain with good news. Praise for great networking, that large amounts of wealth hitting bank accounts, collaboration deals through phone calls, enlarging territory. My friends, this is called name it, claim it, praying, and it is false teaching. It is false teaching and, dare I say, blasphemous to the name of God. God never, ever said that we would be rich. He never, ever said that our health would never fail us. We don't get to just say it, add the name of Jesus to it, and get what we want. That is not the God we serve. Name it and claim it, teaching is false teaching, and I cannot say it in strong enough words. We submit to God because he loves us. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say we'll be rich, but how will we be rich? We will be rich in him. He doesn't say that our health will, will always be healthy, but he does say that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Because it gets dangerous. You name it and claim it, and you don't get it, what do you think? Oh, I didn't have enough faith, or God failed. Those are your only two options. That's never what God has said, said in his word. He doesn't leave us, and we can be rich in him. Are there people that are going to see some of those things? Yeah. But tell that to the missionary who is fully content on the field and is persecuted for their faith. Tell that to Jesus who was crucified. Tell that to every disciple who lost their lives for the cause of Christ. Here's what God does, God's word does say about his heart for us, though. Paul's talking about suffering for the gospel in Ephesians 3. He himself is in prison. And then he prays in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is a good, good father, and he is able to do more than you can even imagine. He's a good father. I couldn't wait. We've, uh, I got some birthday money and was able to, to buy shoes that I would never normally buy. And, you know, I, can't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I don't, I'm not bringing attention to it for anything other than this illustration. Um, I got shoes that I would never buy. And if you don't know what they are, that's fine. You can ask me afterwards. Some of you are going, oh, he's that pastor. No, I'm not an Instagram pastor. I'm not one of the sneaker dudes. It's just a pair of shoes that I've always wanted and I got them. But when I got those shoes, um, it's a pair of shoes my daughter always wanted too. She wanted Yeezy slides. They're not cheap, but there was a drop coming and I had a little bit of extra money. And as her dad, I wanted to bless her in that way. 
And so she just got her easy slides for her birthday this last week. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, um, I'm surprised she didn't wear them this morning. <laughs> but, um, but as a, as a father, I want to bless my, ch- my children. I've told her for a month, you're going to love your birthday present. She's like, shut up, <laughs> you know, but the reality is I love to bless my kids and I'm just a guy. If God is a good, good father, how much do you think he wants to bless us? I've also had the conversation with my daughters that there have been times when they haven't done what's right. And as much as it pains me, I have to withhold blessing in order to bless them with learning. And God does that with us too. He loves us so much. He, and right here he says, or in Matthew chapter 6, he says that he knows our need even before we ask it. We're not informing him of anything. We're telling him how much we need him. And we're, we're getting it on his agenda. When you take it to him, remember this. He knows your need today. When you take it to him, know this. He is more than able. He is waiting to hear from you. It's not because he needs information. It's because you need transformation. You need to know how much you're loved. You need to know that you're held. You need to know that God has it. You need to learn how to trust. He's your father. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And nothing will happen to you apart from him. The commentator Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. You don't just go to God and turn a wheel. You don't just count the beads. You don't say, I must spend hours in prayer. I have decided to do it and I must do it. You don't say that the way to get a blessing is to spend whole nights in prayer because... Because people will not do so that they cannot expect a blessing. We must get rid of this mathematical notion of prayer. What we have to first do is to realize who God is, what he is, and our relationship to him. He tells us to pray and not faint. We are told to pray without ceasing. Yes, but that doesn't mean mechanical repetitions. It doesn't mean believing that we shall be heard for our much speaking. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that when I pray, I know that my God is my father. And that he delights to bless me. And that he is much more ready to give than I am ready to receive. And that he is always concerned about my welfare. I must get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desires. And that which is best for me. Did you hear that? We have to get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desires. And that's what I think is best for me. I must see God as my father who has purchased my ultimate good in Christ and is waiting to bless me with his own fullness in Christ Jesus. I want to finish this morning with a story of George Mueller. He was one of the most effective spiritual leaders of his day. He was gifted as a philanthropist, an evangelist, and a pastor. God used him to accomplish amazing things. He circulated 111 million Bible tracts and pamphlets. 1.4 million New Testaments, 275,000 Bibles in different languages, with nearly as many uh, smaller portions of Scripture. He supported 189 missionaries. He turned 70, he preached the gospel in 42, after he turned 70, he preached the gospel in 42 nations to approximately 3 million people. During his life, he cared for more than 10,000 orphans, provided education for 123,000 students, and received $7.5 million of unsolicited funds from a multitude of human sources by faith and prayer alone, if I remember correctly, in the 1800s. His unique financial policy was to ask no one but God to meet his needs and the needs of his ever-expanding ministry. He clearly stated the major goal of his orphanage 
his orphanages was the primary object of the work is to show the whole world that even in these last evil days, the living God is ready to prove himself as the living God and, ever, and be, being ever willing to help and the prayers of those and answer the prayers of those who trust him. The man just stubbornly refused to quit and he, he, he just prayed to God. He kept praying to God. On occasions when hope seemed lost and answers were slow in coming, he just increased the frequency and, and number of his repetitions. Or also not repetitions, but his petitions. He praying to the Lord. For example, when they needed additional workers, Mueller had his existing staff triple their daily prayer times. Instead of praying once a day about the matter, he been, they met three times and prayed a little more. See, it's not about repetition, but it is about declaring to God how much your need is. See, if you just offer this grenade, hey, God, you know, I kind of really need to pay this bill. And that's it. That's you never think, and you're done. And then you just complain about it the rest of the time. Did you really trust God? No, really. Did your prayer actually get you focused back on God? No, it didn't. Sometimes God withholds and says, wait to teach you to trust him. And Mueller would just go back to the Lord and back to the Lord and back to the Lord and back to the Lord. And he saw all those things happen in his ministry. The man literally never asked for a penny. He never did fundraising. There's a story where one night the orphanage didn't have any meal, nothing at all. And he prayed about it during the day. That night, the milkman showed up, the meat dude showed up, and they weren't even scheduled. And he said, well, we just felt like you probably needed this. It happened over and over and over and over. Some of us in this room could testify to things like that. God knows our need before we ask it. But we ask it not to give God information, but because we need transformation. So, what do you really believe about God by how you pray and the words you use when you pray? What do your prayers indicate of what's actually going on in your heart this morning? Because here's the thing. Can God solve your financial situation? Can he heal your loved one? Can he change your circumstance? Can he heal that relationship? Can he restore your marriage? Can he help you forgive? Yes, 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 a million times yes, of course he can. And he says in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. My friends, we don't have to repeat mantras to the Lord. You know what God wants in prayer? He wants to meet with you. All of you. The dirty, the ugly parts that you don't want anyone to know about. God loves that part of you too. Don't you forget that. Because we think when we come to the Lord, we've got to pray these words that are so pious and 
If we're praying, it's got to start with, dear Lord, and end with, in Jesus' name, amen, right? And only what's in between is prayer. No. He says, pray without ceasing. I'm excited. We have two more weeks in prayer, and we're going to talk about the Lord's prayer over the next two weeks. I'm excited. Because this idea of prayer, as I said last week, when we first talk about it, for most of us, it brings shame. We know we should be doing more or praying more, and oh, it's just what I'm not doing. And God says, just come. Just come. If he's a good father, you know what? He loves to hear your voice. I was struck this morning. Over the last week, as a dad, I didn't plan on saying this, I got to have both of my daughters lead me in worship of the king. And I loved to hear their voice. Your father loves to hear your voice. Whether it's joyous or whether it's broken. He says, come. Here's the thing, I said it last week, but when you work you work. But when you pray, God works. He wants to hear you. Just bring yourself to him and open up your heart and just pray. Declare your pain. Declare your hurt. Thank him for what you have. Count your blessings. And let him hear your heart. Not all this stuff that you've memorized, but have a relationship with the creator of the universe. It's available to you. He's waiting for you. Will you meet him this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the heart you have for us. And while, Lord, your word is not about shaming us or guilting us, God, this morning I am... And as I've been studying, I'm continually reminded of how often I rely way too much on myself. And while I pray for a lot of things and a lot of people, it's easy to forget to bring my whole heart to you. And for that, I'm sorry, God. Thank you for gently reminding me how much you love me. Thank you for reminding us how much you love each and every one of us. And I pray that as we continue to dig into this idea of prayer and how, why you've called us to pray and how we pray, God, may we think of the words that we use. And God, may we really think of what we actually believe. And as words come out of our mouths, may your spirit just go, wait a minute, I just said that, but that's not even true. God, what are you actually? God, you're always with me. God, you're never going to forsake me. God, you do love me. God, you do want to bless me. But God, I want your will in my life. That's the blessing I want is your will. Even if it's not what I want, I want yours. And God, give me the strength that only you can because God, when I'm in your path, that is the path that's going to be the most fulfilling to me, even in the middle of the pain because when I come out of that, I'm going to be refined as gold because that's what your word says. May we declare the truth of your word and be reminded of that as we pray, as we come to you, as we bring to you our junk, as we thank you for all that we are. God, may we become more like you on our knees in prayer. Oh, God, thank you for this gift of prayer that we know when we pray you hear us.
<laughs> Thanks for being our Father. And that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Make us like Jesus. Use us for your kingdom. As we're on our knees. In Jesus' name we pray.